Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, and really excited to be joined by Brooke Williams uh, of USC, Director of Athletic Compliance. And uh, you're in sunny California. Uh, We will start there with how did you get there? Because you started off at at Temple where it's a lot colder and, uh, and it's on the other side of the country. So yeah, you call me on a weird day. It's our one in four rainy days of the year. Um, So not too sunny right now, but really what it boiled down to was a lot of reaching out, building connections and relying on my network to really get my name out there and see where I wanted to put myself in the next five to 10 years and uh, afterwards, really. And you were a student athlete in college. So, you know, figuring out how to transition from uh, playing to ultimately working in the athletic department uh, probably wasn't easy, but it was, there had to have been an aha moment at some point throughout whether it was high school or college where you said, yeah, I want to do this for a living too. Uh, Let me figure out how, what I need to do to get there. Yeah. So I was involved in SAC, which is the student athlete advisory committee. And what that really is, it's a liaison between your institution your student-athlete body in the NCAA, and it it really gives a voice to student-athletes as it pertains to legislation or what you want to do on campus initiative-wise and how you're going to interact with both, you know, the general population of the institution that you're at, as well as athletics and your admin. So for me, as I began my role, I, you know, I started as a representative. I worked my way up to vice president and then president my senior year. I really found this niche of compliance and this this atmosphere of legislation to be super interesting. Uh, at first, I, I wanted to pursue going to law school. Um, and as I progressed through my undergraduate career, you can imagine doing pre-law and sports isn't necessarily easy. Um, and for myself, I definitely was a, a athlete then student. So I found myself switching my major pretty soon as I couldn't really <laughs> balance the two as much as I wanted to. But I had a really good mentor um, in the compliance office who straight up told me, you're going to work in compliance. And I kind of laughed at her because I didn't think that was going to necessarily be true. But here we are. And when you think about compliance, uh, it's one of those like thankless jobs, per se. Right. And, and you know, it doesn't have the, the glit and the glamour of working in sports necessarily as, you know, whether you're a coach or you're on the sidelines or you're working with the athletes. Um, but give us kind of a, a sneak, you know, sneak peek into what, what's the weekly monthly role of, of compliance and what are you constantly dealing with on a, on a daily basis? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that was most attractive to me about this profession is just working with so many different people across the athletic department. And I can, I honestly think that there, there's only one other role in athletics that gets to do that. And those are really your athletic directors Um, with compliance. I can go from a meeting with our HR department in the morning to a student athlete rules ed to talking on the phone with a coach for three hours. Um, I really get to see it all. And, you know, the book gets 400 some pages of a manual, but even past that, I mean, I have this database uh, that we rely on with interps and, waivers and extra information so kind of having that jack of all trades that you really are touching on everything that a coach does everything that a student athlete does um so just that role to me like you said it's extremely thankless but at the end of the day there's there's so many touch points that i have i get to see a lot of things so for myself that's really rewarding and what keeps me motivated to continue this role 
And from a business standpoint, not only do you see it from the legal side, but you see how the legal side affects the business side. Uh, and I think that's a unique perspective that uh, only few have in, in the roles that you do, as opposed to uh, vice versa, seeing how, uh, you know, the law uh, potentially, you know, it makes it harder to do something, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone kind of goes, well, well, that, that legal stipulation or a man, I, I, it doesn't let me do this. Right. But for, for, for you, there's probably ways in which you see it a lot differently than for sure. And I think I learned a lot about that, that balance, you know, through Temple's program, you know, we go through these legal affairs classes and these athletic administration classes. And I got to learn hands-on from professors that I had in that program that practice law or worked in compliance or had some a risk management role. Um, so for me, that was encouraging to see how they dealt with these um, conflicts and these issues. And later on that I would do it. Uh, it's funny when you, when you sit back and you reflect, I'm sitting here educating and advocating for my coaches and then they break a rule. And then I got a knock on their door the next day and yell at them. And then two days later, <laughs> I got to sit next to them at lunch. Um, so it's an interesting job to not only hold people accountable and educate them, but to reprimand them the next day if need be. So it's, it's a weird one. Yeah. And we, we were talking before the episode, words matter, right? Like words are, are, are extremely important in, in not only your role, but everyone's role. But when you think about relationships um, and what you say and how you say things, uh, can you talk a little bit about your philosophy or your strategy in terms of building relationships with others so that you do allow yourself to see those other perspectives that you need to, uh, to be successful? Yeah, I think there's two pieces with that too. The first is, you know, I lived it. Like I was a student athlete and when I'm engaging with my student athletes and they're telling me like, you know, coach is practicing me too much or this doesn't, this isn't right. Or can I do this? Like I have empathy for them, right? Like I know what this is like. I know what they're going through. You know, obviously times have changed a little bit with, you know, this name, image and likeness stuff or, you know, time demands. I didn't live in that era. But at the same time, you know, the lifestyle is still the core foundation is the same. So that's helpful with building relationships with them when they come in, like, I'm not getting enough playing time. Like, you know, I get it. Like, may, I didn't think I got enough playing time. Like, this is what I did. Or did you talk <laughs> to this person? Or are you sure you're doing everything that you can? You know, that's not the compliance role. Like, I'm, I'm sitting there as a friend, as a mentor, or a sounding board. And I think for myself, that's really one of my core values is building the relationship with my student athletes. And then with my coaches, it's, it's taking very high level information and condensing it to these people who have so many important things to do on their today list with hard hitter points. Um, for them, it's important. They have to know the facts. We can't send them a three scroll email. I need to send four bullet points. Um, so I get the point across. And I think a big piece of that too is FaceTime. I'm never going to just send an email with bad news or something they don't want to hear. I'm going to call them. I'm going to walk to their office. You know, my door is always open. If I have a meeting, I'm going to them. I'm not making them come to me. Um, I think that's really what it's all about is building the relationships and those hard conversations or the good times. You know, they're a lot easier um, and your relationship becomes more fluid. You mentioned the, you know, conciseness or, or condensing information into the important points. And I think that's so crucial, not only in just what you do, but, but every, everyone's, uh, you know, role within the business in that everyone's busy, right? But what you understand and how you read something is not necessarily how 
someone else understands it, reads it or comprehends it and understands all the different implications around it. Right. So it's, you know, it is what you do, right. But you're not going to tell the coach necessarily uh, here's the playbook, (laughs) right. Go, go run all these different plays. Uh, So as as you think about translating information into um, making it make the most sense for that individual, uh, you can even call them a client, Mm -hmm. right. How is how does how do you prepare information for one client, i.e. a coach, different than an administrator, different than a player, et cetera, et cetera? I mean, I'll even preface it like it's a really hard skill to learn. And it took me a really long time. And, you know, not to harp on it, but like this is one of the things that I learned at Temple is, you know, how to present information. And when I previously I was an assistant director before I was promoted to the director level, and that was consistent feedback that I got from my mentors and my supervisors was people aren't reading your emails. <laughs> like You need to make this shorter, <laughs> sweeter, more condensed and concise. Um, so I'm just learning myself, but you know, I'm talking about a women's volleyball coach that could have their PhD in philosophy to a men's basketball coach that played 15 years in the NBA. Like how am I going to take information um, and then make it so that it's easy for them, whether they're, you know, maybe they want a graphic, maybe they need an email, maybe I got to call them on the phone and then follow up. And that comes with learning who they are as people um, with time. Obviously that takes time, but it's, that's what it's really about though. It's, you know, understanding their learning style because I'm, I'm teaching them and I'm holding them accountable to the same thing that I'm teaching them. And that's really unique to a role in compliance. Yeah, you're you're not necessarily checking the box like I got that email out. Yeah. Pew, you know we're good, right? Um, it is. It's a little bit more than that. To your point, to make sure that uh, you don't have to have as many of those conversations uh, of breaking a rule or or um, doing something you know that you shouldn't be doing, in hopes that the preparation and the effort on the front end right prevents uh, as much as possible on the back end in, in terms of what transpires. Um, and, and what's supposed to happen. So as you think about uh, the, the landscape in which, you know, talent is, is constantly being developed in university programs and um, student athletes are figuring out what they want to do next, why comply, like why should someone go into compliance or what are some of the um, things that they need to know about going into compliance before they, you know, make that decision like you did of, of this is where sure, I want to go. I think go. the first piece is just, you have to accept any role in college athletics and I can't speak to professional or, you know, nonprofit, but it, it really is a lifestyle and it's hard to have work-life balance because we have to remember that the lives that these coaches are living, you know, not only are they coaching, but they're doing admin work and they're recruiting. So nine to five, that doesn't exist. And I'm sure everyone in sports will say that, but I'll get an email on Christmas Eve or one at 6 a.m. on a Sunday. And, you know, some I can wait till Monday to respond. And other times, you know, I got to I got to get something back to them then and there. And I think that's really what makes or breaks a lot of people in compliance um, is not understanding the demands of the job um, and how much you're relied on as like a gatekeeper of information or that green light. Um, if a coach wants to send out an email or, you know, they're on the road and something happens, they need to know right then and there. Having your phone on at all times is, it really is kind of part of the lifestyle too. It's just how much you're relied on. And I think that's the first step. And 
you know, deciding if you want to work in compliance. And, you know, the second is just, you know, we always have to learn the rules change so often. And especially in the last few weeks and last year, we've seen so much transition to this re remodel of like what college athletics is and what we want it to look like. And you have to be able to learn as you go and accept you're not going to know everything, but you're going to do your best um, to continuously grow and prepare yourself so that you can be the best resource for your coaches and your student athletes. And you mentioned the education component of not necessarily a degree, but right, but but educating others and how to effectively educate others. Uh, are there other roles around the athletic department that you might be able to get the same experience and then ultimately uh, find your way into compliance after that, as opposed to starting? Yeah, it? I think actually, if from the sports specific model. Um, if you are like a director of ops or a manager or doing some sort of non-coaching staff admin role, that transitions actually very nicely to the compliance office because you are working day in and day out with your compliance team or your individual from the office because you're filing the paperwork, you're scheduling the appointments, you're documenting things. Um, I've seen that across the country be a very smooth transition um, from that director of ops to compliance role. Um, as it pertains to other parts um, and facets of the athletic department, uh, haven't seen it too, too much, but you do see it a lot with like, if you have a legal affairs or risk management office, um, that transitions pretty nicely, but not too much of the uh, different facets, at least from what I've seen. Yeah, we had, yeah, we had, well, and then there's also the, the, the opposite trajectory of, you know, we had Brian Blair on the podcast not too long ago, and, and he spent majority of his career in compliance. Now he's just the COO at Washington State uh, in your conference. And so uh, there are, you know, whereas maybe development was the path to the ADC, right, um, or the operational piece from a, a deputy athletic director, whatever the case might be, uh, to your point, you know, you mentioned compliance touches so many different parts of the business uh, and you develop all those relationships. You know, that's certainly a way that you can uh, gain that experience uh, and valued insight to eventually rise up the ranks. Yeah, well, I definitely right? think it's easier go from compliance to another sector of administration than it is to go into compliance after working in a different sector. Um, I totally agree with that. As you think to where you are now and, you know, a couple years in uh, post-grad school and after being a, a student athlete, if you could go back to when you first stepped on campus at Temple uh, as a student athlete, what's, what's the one piece of advice you'd give to yourself? Oh, geez. Hmm. You know, actually, I'd probably say I should have taken school a little bit more seriously um, it's funny because I, I distinctly remember I had a team meeting and our coach said, you know, raise your hand if you rather practice one more hour a week versus study one more hour. And I was like one of two that chose to practice one more hour than study. And I laughed because once I went on to do my master's degree, like I did pretty well. And then I found myself in this position where I'm questioning, like, do I even maybe I want to start teaching. Um, so now it's just so weird to think like how I checked the boxes in undergrad and then found myself so interested in this, you know, higher education, this academia world that now I kind of, 
I'm intrigued and I want to be a part of it. Um, so I definitely think I could have done a little bit better academically um, right off the bat. It got it definitely got better through my four years, but I, I definitely didn't take it as serious as I should have my first semester or two. Yeah, well, we, we all, I mean, hey, we, we all have, um, you know, those those different points in time of, of those aha moments or I wish I could do something different. If you were to give advice uh, in this day and age to someone who would have been in those footsteps uh, as a freshman, uh, walking in as a student athlete, uh, what would you give them from an advice perspective? I think engagement is so critical to how you develop, not only as like a person or an athlete or professional. I saw that I was pushed a lot by mentors that I had in school whether it was um, professionally or my life or professors that just knew I could do better or knew that I would be good at things. And they told me, you know, give this person a call or take a look at this or read this article. And I think just taking that initiative, you don't, it shouldn't be something you wait until your later years of your undergrad career. Like there's no reason you can't be doing professional interviews as a freshman or reading sport business journal or shadowing people. These things are super easy and they they allow you to cultivate and realize your values, not waiting last minute to do it. But you you slowly start to identify who you want to be and who you are um, earlier than you need to um, or not as late as you need to. And you mentioned, you know, kind of the don't be afraid essentially to do anything just because you're younger. Yeah. Right. And and you've gotten yourself to a position of impact and influence uh, young into your career and uh, a rising star. As you, as you think about um, the lessons you've learned, knowing that you have achieved what you've achieved already and, and um, excited to see what the future holds. But for those who are thinking, well, I can't do that until I'm this age, or I can't be there until I'm this age. Uh, usually the question or the answer is, yeah. well, why not? Right. Uh, what's what's kind of the mindset that you've had as, as you've gone about work um, and, and just your professional development in, in terms of not letting age be a yeah, That's actually been one of my biggest struggles, uh, not even just at USC, like externally facing, too, as I I joined on committees or I'm selected for things that I've applied for. I am by far one of the younger or youngest people in our office to hold my role ever. And currently um, I've struggled with, you know, are you the new intern or, you know, when I got promoted, Oh, you're full time. That's awesome. Um, and these are real things people have really said to me. And, you know, I kind of sit back and say, that's actually kind of cool. Like you think that I'm like that young that I wouldn't be able to do this. Um, and I've had to grow up a lot faster for sure. And it's not just like me reflecting. It's I need to apply for the symposium or I need to get my name out there. I need to listen to this. I need to educate myself. I've had to definitely put in a lot more work than most people have kind of seen like more behind the scenes stuff to build my persona or, you know, how I carry myself and even grow my confidence. And it hasn't been easy. And it's definitely, like I said, one of the my biggest struggles to date and I foresee it to be for a few more years just because, I mean, I look young. Nonetheless, am I young? Um, so I <laughs> I don't think it, it makes me upset that people say that, but I get it because I lived it right. Like I know I'm young and I I've gotten to a point where a lot of people take a little bit longer to get to. 
but it's also hard too because now I have to look forward and be okay now what like I got here and I'm this age well now like I don't know what's next like I've reached this faster than I thought so it's kind of like having to reconstruct or identify what your five years or your next 10 years looks like um being successful or people having faith that you'll be able to like execute something and you know filling up to that expectation yeah and it's it's not only just getting somewhere it's and and holding a title or whatever it might be it's actually you know doing a really good job and impacting and and you know having influence right and and how you make sure that you do that and, and uh, if you ever, you know, wherever you move on to your next thing, whenever you leave, it's knowing that you left an, you know, an imprint and an impact that can then be followed up uh, by the next person, yeah. right, to, to continue on. As you think about advice for those who are sitting in your same seat right now, but um, are either looking to make the next jump or they're trying to figure out what they have to do, you know, to your point, a lot of the behind the scenes work uh, to get to that point what are the one or two pieces of advice you have for those? I think just, you know, reaching out for myself and uh, for a lot of people in my network, just, I, it's funny, like cold calling and professional interviews, you would be so surprised by how far that can take you. It shows a lot of confidence one. And, you know, I get a lot of requests to do professional interviews for class projects, but I've gotten some where people just want to learn about what compliance is and they see like, oh, she went to Temple, like I'm looking at going to Temple, maybe that, that'll help me or I'll understand or that that path will be for me if I follow what she did. And I think, you know, not being afraid to reach out and build connections organically, or even if they are kind of forceful, like, they're still connections. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. If someone like shoots you down, maybe you take a step back and you look to identify a different role, like an assistant director or a coordinator versus a director or an associate AD, someone that might have a little bit more accessibility to you. Um, the second piece, you know, you really have to have confidence in like who you are and your brand and you, how you um, are perceived by other people. I can't even count how many emails that I haven't respond to of people asking for feedback or, you know, hear advice and they have spelled things wrong or, you know, they addressed me as Mr. Or the email just like had no formatting. And that just, it goes a long way. And it, that's a first impression. Like while it's not in person and email is a first impression and people don't forget that. And I, I've myself learned that the hard way and it, I had to adapt and grow so that I didn't continue to put that image of myself forward. But I think it's really important to make sure, you know, you have your T's crossed and your I's dotted before you start to extend outwards. Um, you have to have that internal check in place. No, that, that internal check is so important as well as to your point, the, the external, what do people think about me or, or how am I perceived? Um, I'm sure you deal a lot with social media, mm -hmm. right? And ultimately kind of the do's and don'ts, uh, not only for, staff but but for student athletes um what are some of the do's and don'ts within the industry that uh you suggest and look when i look at my office and the individuals on our team there's definitely a gap uh between myself and a couple other individuals and those that might be a little bit older of how much social media is a part of our lives and you know for me i connect with my coaches on social media and i'm engaged in linkedin and i push for us to have a twitter and 
I want us to have this exposure on Instagram, or I want this exposure for my own personal brand on social media. I think it's just, it's so important. And a lot of people think of it in a negative light, but it can grow your brand so much. And it gives you so much more access. Like I follow ADs that I, that resonate with me with their values or that I aspire to be um, different compliance offices. I have notifications on so I get um, dings when they post something and I can continuously keep learning and I'm engaged with them and I'm responding back and, you know, I meet someone and then, you know, I follow them on Twitter, like, right. Like I want to see what you're posting, like your content, not only is going to help me grow, but then I get to like, and I get to engage and retweet your content. And my name keeps popping up and popping up and popping up like, man, Brooke, she, she likes all my stuff. Like she's engaging with me. And I think that's extremely important. Um, but before you do that, you have to make sure that what you have online, uh, is what, who you are and, you know, you don't have a facade or you don't have content or tweets that, you know, might be questioned, whether it's from a coach to an employer to a family member. And I preach that a lot to our student athletes when I'm like on the road and they're posting stuff and I'm like, well, are you sure? Like, you want to put that on there or like, <laughs> well, it's even like spelling too, right? Like it's the wrong, your like stuff like that. It's so simple. And a lot of people notice it and, you know, I think it's it's as simple as that all the way up to like a super um, controversial post. Like I say I don't get in that lane whatsoever, but I think it's important to have a presence on social media. And it's uh, it's a huge part of a lot of people's lives because we grew up with it being so involved um, and so prevalent. Yeah, it's it's one thing that uh, can certainly as you, you know, you, as you just listen to yourself. Uh, talk about it, right? It can probably cons- over consume you. And it's probably something that uh, can be uh, almost mm-hmm. take over your life, right? In the sense of, of constantly being on it or worrying about it or this and that. And you mentioned the notifications, right? Yeah. How many notifications do you get in a day? And uh, it can be overload. But if you try and simplify it, and uh, to your point, just kind of um, streamline it to some extent, it can certainly help uh, you know, extend the yeah. brand and, and, and make it be, make yourself be successful, uh, long-term last thing, as we wrap up the episode, um, in, in terms of the West coast to East coast, uh, culture, right. Of just dealing with different, different types of people, different types of organizations, uh, different types of, um, uh, coaches, uh, communities, et cetera what's the biggest thing that you've learned going from one coast to another in, in terms of just uh, perspectives maybe you, you gained uh, by going out West versus uh, growing up in the East? Well, it's very interesting to deal with uh, beach volleyball coaches versus a, she's like a lacrosse coach on the East coast. Those people are straight up walking off from a surf and, there's a huge difference like our coach mentality like a lot of it's like well I'll get to it when I get to it or just so laid back um and it's really hard because I'm from Maryland but I grew up you know a lot of my professional and uh athletic career was in Philly and it's fast paced it's you know grit and grind and I come to LA and it's like easy breezy like how's it going like swing by when you're free kind of 10 minutes late for an appointment uh, an appointment and it's it's so weird so different it took so long to get used to um but it, it's getting there but it's very different 
Um, I can't say one's necessarily better than the other because it's definitely nice to have a little bit more of life work life balance with uh, that sense. But um, yeah, I definitely noticed it. And I mean, the traffic in itself is like a completely different thing. But I won't get into that. <laughs> That's bad. <laughs> traffic. Traffic, weather, they're all like yeah. topics of conversation that you can just somehow dive into with everyone. Everyone's got a relatable. Uh, if you're in Atlanta, you think your traffic's worse than L.A., which is worse than New York, right? Everyone's kind of oh, got yeah. their um, their their opinion and perspective on it. But, uh, Brooke, as, as, as we wrap up, any, any last words for our listeners? No, I just I hope that uh, this allows people to really see more of what compliance is it's like super niche but at the same time it's extremely rewarding and you know it comes with a lot of gratitude sometimes but it can be thankless at others but at the end of the day it really comes down to a lot of relationship building and I hope that um, really draws people to get involved or you know find a career in this part of the industry. Well, Burke, thank you so much for joining. Uh